Good morning. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to say hello, hello. Hi. It actually is very surreal. Like, I think for us, we're not um, big, we don't like to create big landmarks because God is always in process of moving. And the problem with creating landmarks sometimes is you can begin to worship them and, and the, the journey can become more important than the people on the journey and what God is doing and the bigger picture of stuff. And so, but we had, uh, I was talking to a, a friend of ours and she said, for her, it's so helpful when we have these moments because it's nice to know where in the journey you've jumped in. You know, we're in the process you've jumped in. And so if you've been around for four years and you knew everyone on the screen, if you've been around for today's your first day and you didn't know anyone on the screen, um, it's wonderful to journey together. But I've got a little, I've got a thing on my heart I'd like to share with us today around, um, and I haven't really ever done this, I think, in, this, in the history of Center Churches, had like a Vision Sunday sort of thing, because it always feels weird to me when churches change their vision every year, because I'm like, what was wrong with last year's vision? Like, surely the church is always doing the same thing, right? We're trying to change the world, and we've always said that God's big plan is you. He's trying to make you into the image of His Son, Jesus, so you can go and change the world. That's always His plan, but not you individually like this narcissistic thing, but you in combination with everyone else becoming like Christ. That's always been God's plan. Like if, if you look in the Bible, oftentimes in Ephesians chapter 4, everyone runs to Ephesians chapter 4 to go look for their label because it talks about apostles and prophets and, you know, exciting things like that, evangelists, like which, which am I, you know, which sparkly gift am I? And actually it's nothing to do with that. It has to do with maturing the saints and us all becoming like Jesus. That's actually what that chapter is about. And I felt this, so maybe if I could, I, I couldn't, but if I could, I could have actually because Tim could have helped. But anyway, whatever, I'm just... <laughs> Sorry, let me tell you what I could have done. They'd be like, obviously, Tim could have helped. I believe this year, I was using the term last year that I felt God said to us that it's time to plant Center Church now. That for four years, we've been laying the foundations, and now we're ready to plant. But I don't know if that's strictly true. And so over the holidays, while I've been praying, God gave me this picture of, I think for four years, this church has been in a little bag. You know, you know when you go to a nursery and the little plant is in the bag, hey Tim, and uh, you put fertilizer and eggshells and all those other things into the plant and it makes it grow and mature. But I feel like for four years now, this plant has grown in its bag and it's developed in, in sort of isolation. And so we've said things like, um, we're at this underground church. And, you know, we don't have any signage. We've got no advertising. We're super, like, hidden, you know. How did you find us? If you visited the church, we're, like, suspicious. How did you find us? You know, how did you get here? Who did you talk to? You know? Do you know the secret password and the handshake and the, all this stuff? But I feel like that season, to a degree, is over. And God's wanting to take this tree out of its bag and plant it now, where it can begin to influence and it can begin to spread. And already, I mean, it's ridiculous. That's what the, those were the guys that were organized enough to send us videos, right? Generally, this is a church full of people that get on with a job and aren't always the most, you know, sentimental kind of those, those kind of people. We, we love one another, but there's a whole bunch of other guys who've also gone to other nations. And in four short years, God's given us an influence and given us a footprint, particularly in New Zealand. Um, so funny, for those of you who know Charlotte and Jacqueline, their little son, Evan, Evan, 
Like he had such an Afrikaans accent when he left. And listen to him there, he's got this hybrid Afrikaans New Zealand. He's going to be so confused when he comes back. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing for the All Blacks in a few years' time, and we'll take credit for that. God's given us a footprint across the world. And it's an incredible thing to be part of because you can't engineer that. You can't force that to happen. So I'd like to talk this morning of what does that transplant look like? That we move from, because when you first plant, you want to look after this thing. You don't want it to die. I'm just letting you know, when you plant a church, it's scary. It's so scary. We were sitting in the little, we used to call it the operating theater because it just had like these, it had way too many fluorescent tubes for the size of the room. Like you had to wear sunglasses and it's just, it was so bright. There was nowhere to hide and there were like 12 of us all sitting there like just worshiping our hearts out. Jesus, this is so exciting. Hope this works. Lord, you've got this thing. And somehow God has built something. And we still ordered that. But the time of nurturing that little church and, and is it going to be okay? And is it going to, like, those, that season, in, it obviously will be okay. But there's a season of influence coming and there's a season of transplant coming where it's time to spread our wings. So I wonder if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to give you a little bit of background to the text I'm going to read. And then we're going to kind of weave our way through this. So just to give you a little bit of background, Matthew chapter 9 is an interesting um, text because it's Jesus just doing ninja Jesus things wherever he goes. So it starts off, he forgives and heals a paralyzed man. That's how the chapter starts. And then the religious people get their noses out of joint about this guy getting healed. Then he calls Matthew a tax collector to him. And uh, he, now he upsets all the cultural people. Because Matthew's a tax collector, and like Stu mentioned a few weeks ago, the problem with the tax collectors were they were Jews who sided with the Romans to extort money from the Jews. So these guys were like total traitors. But what also made it worse was in Jesus' 12 disciples, he had a guy called Simon the Zealot. Now the Zealots were like a bunch of terrorists, Jewish terrorists, who were planning these like midnight raids to try and kill the, the Romans and drive them out. They were like these fundamentalist like right-wing guys. So you've got that guy in the same 12 as Matthew. Like, I wonder how many times in the middle of the night Matthew woke up and Simon's st standing over him <clears throat> with a knife and Jesus is like, hey, put it away. Matthew like slept really close to Jesus. <laughs> He's like, I'm scared of that guy. Simon just looking at him over the dinner table. Anyway, so there's a bit of context so, to the story. So Jesus is called Matthew, and everyone's in uproar. How on earth can you spend time with this guy? He's a tax collector. He's like on the wrong side of the fence. In fact, the Pharisees say this in um, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, because they were cowards, right? They're not going to take Jesus on. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I go... And learn what this means. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And so Jesus gets questioned about his methods after that. They ask him how he does stuff. And he, gives these, he kind of responds a little bit. Then, off the back of that, he raises a dead girl to life. Just because. Um, he heals a sick woman. He heals a demon-possessed mute guy and a deaf guy. 
And then he says the following. So he's just done all this crazy stuff and there's all this opposition. Jesus is like, just doing what Jesus does. And then in verse 35, this is our text for today. It says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And guys, over the course of this December period, while just mulling over this thing of transplants and talking it through with Stewie and Duff, and like, what, God, what are you doing? I feel like there's often a pressure on us as Christians to be the ones that are going to go out and save the world. But it's interesting, the two things we never told in Scripture to do are probably the two things that we feel like we're meant to do most as the church. We're never told to judge in Scripture. Judgment belongs to God. We're also never told to save people. The Bible teaches that only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I think it's the two things that the church is most sort of known for. Judging others. I'm better than you sitting on my high horse. And also feeling this pressure that I've got to go save the world. It's on me. If I don't, everybody's going to hell. And then I'm, you know, one day I'm going to have to answer to Jesus for that. But scripture talks, it says, go into all the world and make disciples. Find out what God is already doing and be part of that. Find out who he's already working with and be part of that. And today I'd like to take something off us as a church and maybe put another thing on us if I can. So I've got three simple things out of this text. Hopefully God can stir it up because I think there's an urgency. When I look at 2020, not that, I mean, it's such a stupid year because everyone's like, oh, I've got 2020 vision this year. and It's going to be the year of 20 plenty. You know, all the, all the prosperity guys, like, it's going to be 20 plenty, hallelujah. What? Yeah, amen. <laughs> right? So just firstly, the thing I, I see in this text, and I'd like to challenge us with this morning, looking at the year ahead, Jesus wasn't ever afraid to be the first. He was able to see the need, identify the hurt, the lost, the broken. And I think we're also always able to see those things. But the question is, then what? What happens when you see all the need and we see the hurt and we see the brokenness? Then what? I was at Builders the other day. And I, I love these moments. So standing at the cashier till, so said the guy, how was your Christmas? And he's like, oh, it was okay or whatever. Like, how are you doing? No, fine. It was, so he's like, oh, you know, how was your Christmas? I was like, oh, it was pretty full, you know. Um, I'm a pastor, so it's like we had a lot of stuff on at the church. And he grabs me by my arm and he says, which is weird, but he goes like, pastor, you know. Pastor, I'm trying to read my Bible, but I don't know where to start. He says, I'm not a godly man. He says, but I'm trying to understand my Bible, but I don't know where to start. Where do I start? And it's, this is the thing, guys. I have to have an answer for him. Jesus wasn't afraid to be the first in someone's life. He wasn't, like I was writing this down. Like I think for, for us oftentimes in those moments, I can feel a little bit like, well, I don't know enough. Or I'm waiting for guidance. I'm waiting for someone else to initiate stuff. I'm waiting for someone else to lead me, someone else more qualified. Like, where should I start? 
That's a great question, dude. I've been struggling with the same thing. Anyway, here's my card. and Which is real. It's a real response. But I don't think reaching the world, I don't feel like being transplanted is as hard as we think it is because it's God who is at work to will and to act according to his good purpose. So I said to this guy, well, I don't know where you should stop, but can I tell you something God spoke to me about the other day? I said to him, I've been really afraid about something of late, something I've been dealing with. God's been opening up doors for me beyond center church to minister into other churches. I said, I feel very uncomfortable with that because I feel very uncomfortable in my own church, you know, with my peeps and everything. It's like, yo, he gets that. I'm like, but now guys are asking me to go beyond that and go and help them, and I don't want to go. He's like, no, I get that, you know fully get that, like awkward out there. I'm like, I know Christians, right? He's like, I know. <laughs> so, but then I'm looking in 1 Peter, the beginning. And Paul says that he was commanded to be an apostle by God. I feel like God's saying to me, hey, John, you don't get to do what you do with your life. I'm commanding you to do what I've made you to be. I said, what's God made you to be, bro? It's like, I don't know. Like he's commanded you to be something. It's a great place to start. Why not ask him that? So I'll see you when I come to builders. I'll come to your till. I'll wait. We can talk about it. But God's commanded you to be something. You're not floating through your life aimlessly. He's commanded you to be something, right? He's got a plan for you, bro. Anyway, it sounds like one of those rah-rah things, but that's, that's all I had, right? It's what I had in the moment. And he's just like so stoked that there's someone had something for him in that moment. Jesus wants a relationship with him. And so there is an action required. When I see the brokenness, when I see the hurt, there is an action required. When Jesus looked at us in our mess, and he looked at us in our brokenness, he didn't sit in heaven and be like, jeez, what a stuff up. How did they do that? Call Gabriel over. Well, angels are like, I can't believe it. Let's blow it up and start again. Jesus looks and he says, I'm prepared to be the first to bring change. I'm not going to wait for someone else. Let me be the first to bring change. 2 Peter 1 says this. Peter writes, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, right, his divine power, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it take? What does it take to be prepared to be the first? I felt God really challenging me on that. Am I prepared to be the first? Because so often when I look at someone's life and their life is sliding, am I prepared to be the first person that gives a damn? Because if no one else's, it's much easier just to be like everyone else and not give a damn as well. But I'm going to be the first to give a damn. That tide stops with me. That slide stops with me. I'll be the first to give a damn. I'll be the first person to listen and not just give advice. I'll be the first person to be honest and not blow smoke up their backside. Speak the truth in love. 
Someone phoned me the other day, a guy who leads a church, and he's just so frustrated and angry with his church. It's like a big church. But they're like not doing what he wants them to do. And he's like, wah, 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 on Skype, and I'm like listening. And I'm like, bro, after a while, I said, bro, when was the last time you stood in your pulpit, you looked at all these people and said, I'm not this good. This must be Jesus. Flip, I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done. And start having a bit of gratefulness. You know? Sometimes it's hard to be honest like that with people. To speak the truth in love. But we need to be able to do that. The first person to be honest. Because we're in a world at the moment where truth is all over the car park. And we're all telling each other what we think we should say. Because it's easier. Because the moment I tell the real truth. And it's tall poppy syndrome. Because what do you think you're better than me? But speak the truth in love. The first to be honest. The first person to be vulnerable and let our shields down. I realized, I was talking to a friend yesterday about this, that if I'm going to be the first in someone's life to be able to reach across the divide and show them that Jesus is who he says he is, and the church is broken and squonky and all that stuff, but it's still his church and she's beautiful. I've got to be able to let him see that I'm not perfect. I'm not saying put my sin on show and celebrate in my sin, but I have to be able to be vulnerable. I have to be able to say I'm sorry. I have to be able to say like I don't have it all together. But Jesus, the first to be vulnerable, the first to care, care. <laughs> you know, how are you doing? Fine. Because it's easier to say fine. Because I don't really want to know, you know? How are you doing? I'm having an awful day. I'll pray for you. Okay. But to actually care. And care doesn't mean necessarily first and foremost doing something. Care means that when that person is in a tough place. And I'm, guys, I'm not talking in the church here. I'm talking transplant, right? I'm talking Joburg. Someone in my workplace. Someone in my hobby, whatever thing that I do, you know, yeah, someone at my school, anything else, man, <laughs> keep going, yeah, like, in whatever sphere I'm in, that, I, that I, I, I care, which means that the fact that it's not okay with you affects me, that I actually carry it, that it concerns me. The first person they can trust can actually trust the first person who has an answer. I was listening to a book by John Maxwell the other day. I'm not the biggest bookie guy in the world, but he said these three things. He said, we've forgotten this, that we sit as the church, we have our community, and there's a world out there who want to know three things. Do you care? Can I trust you? And do you have an answer for what I'm going through? And friends, if we're going to be transplanted, our answer needs to be yes to those three. But it's impossible to do that without Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to be the first. I'll tell you a quick story for me about the first. When I got saved, I was a drug addict. So it was my third rehab. And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't got saved yet, actually. It was my third rehab. And we got kicked out of rehab for taking drugs at rehab. Because they, you can get them. They're just more expensive, right? So out of rehab... <laughs> 
And we're living, and now we're making a plan because we've been kicked out, and the rehab we forced us to go to this church on a Sunday, and so, like, we, we, we knew the people in the church, and um, we used to sit at the back, and we kicked out, and so now we're making a plan. We're going to come to Joburg and try and make our way, me and this other guy. One of the couples in the church, the names, his name was Edgar, but he called himself Edge because he could sort of play guitar. And uh, he was married to a lady, Tito, Edge and Tito, and they had nothing. Like, they were, like, this far from destitute. They had a little printing business, but they had almost nothing. And they said to us, hey, don't run. Why don't you come stay with us? And we're like, you know we still take drugs. Yeah. You've seen us week in and week out at church. We're not interested in your church or your God. We know. But they were the first because they, the rehab had to look after us, right? They were paid to. Everyone else had to, but this couple. And I remember sitting there and watching them scrape together their last bit of money to buy just enough so that we could have dinner on the way home. I quit smoking during that time because I couldn't afford to keep smoking. <laughs> I remember praying. I was like, Lord, I can't. My, my parents had given me a little bit of an allowance towards cigarettes and but I'm watching these guys struggle. I need you to, t like, this is after I got saved. I need you to take away, like, I, I need to stop smoking so I can actually contribute towards this family. But it was while I was with them that God did something in my heart. I came to faith. Because they were the first. They were prepared to step in. And it was messy. We could have robbed them blind. Not that they had lots of stuff, but I could have taken Edge's guitar. And that would have been the worst Edge, Edge was a paraplegic. He was in a wheelchair. But they were the first. Friends, Jesus wasn't afraid to be the first. And if we're going to transplant this year, we cannot be afraid to be the first. Right? To step in. Second quick thing is that opposition and change wants to slow us down. And we need to know that. Like, it's going to happen during the course of the day. Jesus had, Jesus had it in front of him. The Pharisees had two issues with Jesus. One was Jesus himself. They just didn't like him. Right? Just who did he think he was? Like, you know, which theological college did you go to? And blah, blah, blah. But secondly, he did things differently. And I think that's more the thing that we struggle with. But we haven't done it this way. Center Church has been this way. We like our little bag. It's so nice in our little bag. Guys, I'm telling you, over the course of this year, someone's going to sit in your seat. Someone's going to require your time. Someone is going to mess up your lounge. Someone's kid is coming to your house with a crayon to destroy things. <laughs> Hopefully it's just a crayon and not a pair of scissors, but it may happen. This is the thing, though. Jesus wasn't bringing new truth. He was reminding them of the old truths, and they were getting offended at it. And guys, I believe this. The church needs to return to the real, the old truths. Because we live in a world today where the Bible and the truth of the Bible is not sexy enough. It's not awesome enough. We want something fun and new and vibey and like, woo! Listen to some pastor preach the other day talking about there's two types of angels in heaven. One flies, one walks, and if you give enough money to the church, God will send the flying angel to you. But if you don't, he'll send the walking angel. So it's up to you. <laughs> what a load of crap. Can I just call it what it is? Come on, man. And everyone's like standing going, woo, let's take up an offering. I want the angel with wings. No, man. 
We used to sing this song, the old, old story, it is ever new. The old, old story, praise the Lord, is truth for the, the, those in the room. Jesus died for me as well as you. I love the old, old story. And guys, the truth of what the church is, the truth of Jesus and what he said, the truth of, script, the truth of Scripture, the truth of redemption, the truth that Jesus isn't wanting to give you a nice hug and stroke your inner child and make you feel good about yourself. But Jesus comes and says, die to yourself. Lay it all down because I've got a dream and a mission for you that is so much bigger than you could ever dream of. It's going to cost you everything. But man, you're going to lie on your deathbed one day, this dried out husk going, like at the bottom of one of those rides at Gold Reef City. <laughs> Sitting there just, whoa. Bible is not irrelevant. Okay. Oh, flip, I really wanted to, I'm not going to talk about that, but I really wanted to. I'm going to quickly make a comment on this. You know this new sex bill that's going around at school? They're talking about, for those of you in teaching and education, that they're wanting to teach this new thing on sexuality in the schools. Can I just make a quick comment on that? And it's, in a, it's not an opinion. I think it's a biblical take on it. Our schools already teach evolution. They already teach multi-faith. For us to be flipping out and losing our minds and trying to stop that, I think it's a bit ridiculous. Just follow me for a second. The time has to be where we as Christians are able to have conversations with our own children that they know what truth is. That they are able to look at that thing and go, it's a load of rubbish. We are there to parent our children. We can't go, we don't like the way you parenting our kid at school. It's time for us to stand up, guys. Us to be able to tell our children. We have these frank conversations with our kids. I'm a little bit more blunt than Cindy. Cindy's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're talking to the girls like this. And my girls are like, dad, it's awkward. But we've had all these convos about stuff. Because I want them to know what the truth is on this stuff. I want them to be able to ask the questions. Guys, we're training, right? Young people that are able to stand in the winds of all the stuff that's going on. Relativism, all that kind of rubbish. Parents. Part of transplanting is giving our kids the conviction that they know what they believe because they've heard from God for themselves, that they're able to stand with it. And all this spear shaking and shield waving and losing our minds and flipping out and cursing the darkness, I'm like, go home, spend some time with your children, talk it through, show them the Bible, let them know what truth is, keep the bridge there. Because that's not the only thing that's coming. Wait till they get to high school. Never mind that accelerated sex education at primary school. Wait till you hear what their friends tell them when they get to high school. Right? You'll be wishing that that's all they heard. Seriously. We have to be able to stand up, guys. Be able to speak the truth. Each one of us. And then lastly, quickly, and then we finished. For us to do this, Jesus said this. Right at the end, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Guys, if we are going to do what God has called us to do, we need a bigger team. And I'm not talking about making center church bigger. You know, like numbers are inconsequential to us, right? We've been the underground church, so I don't know where all you people came from, but then how you found us, but hey, you did, and that's cool. But we need a bigger team to reach the city which means we need more unity between the churches. So we've got to watch the way we speak about other churches. Those are our brothers and our partners in reaching the rest of the city for the gospel. I've said this before. Jesus does not care about center church. Please know that. Or any other church you think of. He cares about his church only. 
And we precious about our cupcakes and our birthday and all that kind of stuff. For Jesus, he did all of this. Cupcakes are for us, not for him. We're not going to light one on fire and, you know, send it up as a burnt offering. <laughs> Pour some petrol on it. And we'll just sing Kumbaya and clap our hands and have a candle on. We're not going to do that. This is for our sake. And it's wonderful to celebrate these things. I'm not against it. I love it. I love this. I love this church. I love the people. Like, this is awesome. But Jesus first, Jesus church first, we need a bigger team. And it's got to be our perspective. And so this is what it takes. Guys, over the course of this year, if people don't know Jesus, I'm prepared to be the first. If I meet people who have been hurt and offended, I'll be the first. I was looking at some stats. Do you know that 41% of people in South Africa who, are, who have identified as Christian define themselves as non-practicing Christians? It's another stat. Over, there's over half a, half a million Christians in Johannesburg who are not in church. We need a bigger team. Let's go fetch them. Let's go love them. Let's bring them in. They're broken and offended. Sweet. That's our best but I hate the church. I used to hate the church too. That's awesome. But pastors, I know, right? But you're a pastor. I know. <laughs> they took all my money. They said this. They judged me. That, yeah, of course they did. They're people. But there is a bigger mission. There's stuff that Jesus has called us to. Frankly, for me, I find... Hurt, broken, offended people, way easier. It's just so easy to spend time with them because maybe I'm that broken as well. And sometimes it's helpful to realize that. And oftentimes I think we look at our, our lack, you know, and we go, well, that's what disqualifies me. You know, the fact that you struggle to pray is an amazing bridge to other people because they do too. But I pretend that I don't. Maybe the fact that the Bible confuses the hell out of you sometimes. It's a great bridge. One of the things we've been talking about doing as our connect groups this year is once a month, we don't have connect group. We have dinner for one or dinner for two. Dinner, for, dinner whatever. That, you know that thing they used to play at New Year's? That weird thing with the old Miss Sophie. But the plan is this, that once a month, we set aside a week where we don't have connect group, and it's an opportunity for you to invite someone to your house for dinner. Who? Doesn't matter. Just someone. Break, break the barrier of your front door because it's so big sometimes. But what happens if we've only got bread and whatever or, or very little? I have them for coffee after dinner. We've done that before when things are tight. Those of you who have been invited for coffee after dinner, now you know what was going on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But to reach out, because guys, we can't stay in the bag expecting to only be fed and expecting to only have everything fed into us. There's got to come a time where we are transplanted, our roots begin to spread. We begin to influence and we begin to bring change for the sake of the gospel. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds 
and glorify your Father in heaven. I'll tell you something I've started doing of late. Waking up each day and looking at my day and saying, how do I add value to others today? And counting the cost before I head out into my day. How do I add value to the lives of others? How am I going to go speak life? How am I going to bring light? How am I going to be salt? You know the difference between, you know why we love Steers chips more than any other chips? It is the chips to a degree. But it's that salt. Steers salt is amazing. And all the other companies that tried to copy it and do their own version haven't got it quite right. Friends, I feel like God's calling us this year to be transplanted, to be that salt and light that's able to reach out. Is that okay? Can I pray for us? Can we bow our heads? There was a prophetic word spoken over Center Church before the church was even planted in September of 2015. And the lady who prophesied it said this. She knew nothing about the church. She said that there's going to be a gift and a grace over this church to reach fossilized bones and speak them back to life. Not just dry bones, but fossilized bones. That the prodigals will come home. The funny thing about those is they both speak of things that have lived before. But there's a grace that we can speak life again to the bones that have grown dry. People that have lost the plot. People that have maybe walked away from their faith. People that still love Jesus but got so hurt by church that they can't see a way back home. Friends, you and I, we're that bridge. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you call us onwards and upwards. You call us to yourself. I thank you, Lord, that today this is no weight that we have to carry. You said that your burden is easy, Lord. Your yoke is light. Lord, I pray that you would redeem now, Lord, in our minds, our occupations. You would redeem our relationships and we begin to see, Lord, that you've called us to be salt and light. Lord, that you'd give us the faith to be the first again, to be able to stand in the gap, to extend what care and love and wisdom and whatever, Lord, that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, that you've kept us this far. Thank you for what you've done here, Lord. Keep us close to you, Lord. Keep us in your hands. We don't think, Lord, that it's our devotion to you or anything that we've done, Lord, that's got us to where we are now is solely by your grace. And Lord, we want to stay in that place. Amen. Quick thing before Stu hops up. On your chair, you're going to see this like the 2020, the second half. For, sorry, the first half. Yeah, if it was the second half. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down, yeah. Just prophesying the second half. Anyway. The first off, what you'll see during Love Week this year, there's a bunch of stuff going on this year. It's going to be awesome. Lots of awesome things. We're doing a dads and kids getaway night where the dads are taking their kids and we're going to go spend a night away somewhere. We're doing a men's night away where the boys, the boys in the bush, I think we've called it or something like that. Um, we're doing a, um, but one of the big things we're wanting to do this year is during Love Week, we always have a Love Week once a year. It's a moment where we just really muck in over Mandela Day and we get stuck into some stuff. Some doors have opened for us across the border to be able to help in um, a couple of other countries, and specifically in Zimbabwe. I've got a friend who leads a church in Bulawayo, and 
if you are not watching the news and part of anything at the moment, you'll realize that Zim is going through the ringer at the moment, and it's, it's not amazing. And the church is really struggling. There's, I mean, the people, the guys who's suffering famine at the moment, they can't, they, they don't even have seed to plant, so they can't even live, live subsistence farming to support them. And so we'd like to do is, and I'm telling you this up front because to prep you, because preparation, right? I'm being prepared to go and be the first. I'm preparing myself because if we don't prepare, if we wait to the last minute, it's never going to happen. I want to take some of our four-by-fours that have never seen a dirt road before because there are one or two of those in here in Joburg. It's little Land Rover Discoveries that drive around like this. Ooh, it's a puddle. <laughs> and, uh, and, and let them live out their dreams, basically. We're doing this for your vehicles. We want to take a few of these with trailers. Find out from Warren, who leads the church. He's connected to a lot of the, the rural churches there. And so any help or aid we take in is able to get to these guys without going to the police and without going to the guys who usually take it for themselves and keep it away. But can I say this? It's going to take a very specific group of guys to be able to do that. If you're foul-mouthed, stubborn, Right, angry person, you're perfect because we need to get through the border without having our stuff stolen. Okay, Jesus has kept you for such a time as this. You can change in August. No redemption before then, please. Just keep it rough. Keep it gym. Hit the bag. Keep the anger simmering. We need you. So, yeah, Love Week's going to have like an international part and then sort of a local part as well. We're going to be partnering with guys here. But guys, it's going to be an amazing um, year this year. I, I can't wait to see what God is going to do. We've felt he's spoken to us as a team. We've got a bunch of plans to do stuff. But let's muck and st get stuck in and have some fun.